Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Monday, October 12th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. The United States now averaging 50,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus per day as concerns over school infections continue to rise. President Trump still recovering from COVID-19, holding a rally at the White House and vowing to return to the campaign trail, though it's still unclear if he is now testing negative for the coronavirus. And on Capitol Hill, a contentious confirmation process beginning as Republicans vow to push forward Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. President Trump kickstarting what will be a busy week in his agenda with just a couple of weeks left until Election Day. Over the weekend, the president claiming he's fully recovered from the coronavirus and is now immune, but his doctors still not backing these statements. Andrea Linares has the latest. I'm going to be out in Florida tomorrow working very hard. Today, President Trump campaigning in Florida for the first time since his coronavirus diagnosis. White House physician Sean Conley issuing a statement saying Trump was, quote, no longer considered a transmission risk to others. But he has not answered questions about the president's condition in six days, and he hasn't said the president tested negative. Trump also called into Fox News today making this claim. It looks like I'm immune for, I don't know, maybe a long time and maybe a short time. It could be a lifetime. Nobody really knows, but I'm immune. The president also taking to Twitter saying his doctors gave him a total and complete sign off. That means I can't get it immune and I can't give it. But so far, there is no evidence people who have contracted COVID-19 are immune. Twitter added a warning label to that tweet, saying it violated their rules about spreading misleading and possibly harmful information about the virus. Meanwhile, over the weekend, Trump restarted in-person events, trying to make a pitch to black voters. First of all, I'm feeling great. I don't know about you. How is everyone feeling? Hundreds crowding the south lawn of the White House Saturday, standing shoulder to shoulder, many wearing masks, but no social distancing. President Trump, speaking from the balcony, touted his support for law enforcement and investment in black-owned businesses and also downplayed the virus. It's going to disappear. It is disappearing. And where vaccines are going to help and the therapeutics are going to help a lot. Mr. Trump now releasing political ads touting his record, featuring a clip of Dr. Anthony Fauci praising his administration. I can't imagine that anybody could be doing more. However, Fauci tells ABC News those comments were used without his permission and were taken out of context from March. Tonight, President Trump will be rallying in Sanford, Florida, and he'll be holding more in-person events in the following days in Johnson, Pennsylvania, Des Moines, Iowa, and in Greenville, North Carolina. This final push comes as Joe Biden leads in polls with three weeks until election. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And now to Capitol Hill, where hearings for President Trump's Supreme Court justice pick began this morning. Lawmakers on both sides are clashing over this contentious process just weeks before the November election. Edwin Pitti is in Washington, D.C. and brings us the very latest. Edwin, what is the situation at the hearing right now? 
Hi, Lorraine. Today is a very important day for Republicans who have been working faster than ever to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett as the next member to the Supreme Court. But I can tell you that she arrived today on Capitol Hill and have been paying close attention to the opening statements of the 22 senators in the Judiciary Committee. During his opening statement, Senator Lindsey Graham, chairman to the committee, said that Judge Barrett is in the category of excellence, but also praising the late Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, saying that during her confirmation, almost every Republican senator voted for her based on her qualifications and that the same should happen right now. Take a listen. There was a time in this country where someone like Ruth Bader Ginsburg was seen by almost everybody as qualified for the position of being on the Supreme Court, understanding that she would have a different philosophy than many of the Republicans who voted for her. Now, Democrats are taking a different approach by using their time to call for the protection of the Affordable Care Act. Senator Dianne Feinstein told Judge Barrett that she has big shoes to fill if confirmed to the Supreme Court. Listen. When asked in October 2018 if Republicans intended to honor their own rule if an opening were to come up in 2020, Chairman Graham promised, quote, if an opening comes in the last year of President Trump's term and the primary process has started, we'll wait till after the next election. Republicans should honor this word for their promise and let the American people be heard. Simply put, I believe we should not be moving forward on this nomination, not until the election has ended and the next president has taken office. And over the weekend, we got a hold of Judge Barrett's opening statement, and she states that courts are not to make policies. That's the job of the political branches of the government, referring to the White House and Congress. She's also expected to say that she will keep the perspective of her mentor, late Justice Antonin Scalia, which is to implement the law as written and not based on personal beliefs. The first day of hearings was a mix of in-person and remote participation by the 22 senators in the committee, but it was of great concern with Senator Mike Lee, who 11 days ago tested positive of COVID-19, spoke in the room without a mask. Now, Democrat Senator Patrick Lehigh calling him out, saying that his action was plainly unsafe. And Senator Tom Tillis, who also tested positive, participated remotely, but he said that he's planning to attend the confirmation hearing in person later this week. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report. It'll be an interesting week. And joining me now is Chris Liu. He's a former Obama White House senior cabinet member. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Day one of Amy Coney Barrett's hearings. Remind us what is at stake and how are, is her appointment going to reshape the court? Well, first of all, this is a lifetime appointment, and that will tilt the court to six conservatives uh, and three liberals. And that will have a dramatic impact on all Americans' lives, whether it is the uh, continued viability of the Affordable Care Act, which helps 23 million people, hundreds of millions of people with pre-existing conditions, or it affects Roe versus Wade, which protects a woman's right to choose, or on so many of the issues that the court has addressed over the last couple of years, everything from voting rights to the census as well. And so it's one of the reasons why this will be such a pitch battle, because Judge Barrett could sit on this court for 30, 40 years, uh, and she will have uh, an indelible mark on the rights of people in this country. 
Chris, we know that Democrats lack the votes to stall the hearing. So what's going to be their strategy this week? Well, the strategy is to show the American people uh, why what the court does matters. You know, for far too many people in this country, the Supreme Court is a really abstract concept. But when you start talking about things like the Affordable Care Act, which was the last time it before it came before the Supreme Court, was upheld by a 5-4 decision. Uh, and obviously, the Supreme Court will be considering this uh, in the next couple of weeks. And so to show people, you know, it's just not abstract legal concepts, but this means whether you can get protection if you have pre-existing conditions. Can you vote in this country? Will the census count everybody? What about um, the millions? Uh, what about uh, DACA recipients and uh, whether they have to go back uh, to other countries? These are 5-4 decisions, and who is on the Supreme Court makes a big difference. In her opening statement, Judge Barrett said, quote, a judge must apply the law as written, not as the judge wishes it were. What's your takeaway from her opening statement? What can you tell about her judicial philosophy as stated in, in her statement? Well, you know, I laughed when I read that statement because virtually every nominee that's come up before the Supreme Court uh, has made a similar statement. They all they all say that. But let's be clear, it's it's very obvious why the president chose this person. You know, before the 2016 election and even in the last year, uh, President Trump released a list of judges that he would consider naming to the Supreme Court. He has said that all of these people uh, are pro-life and will uh, pledge to repeal Roe versus Wade. And so um, it's very clear why Judge Barrett was chosen. She doesn't uh, she doesn't need uh, to uh, say anything more, but she would not have made the shortlist otherwise. Chris, the Supreme Court is set to hear the Affordable Care Act on November 10th. Talk to us about how she can impact that decision. Well, as I said, the last time this came up was on a 5-4 decision. Uh, this is a closely watched issue. Uh, and the president has made it his mission, really, uh, to repeal the Affordable Care Act from day one. He has not been able to do that uh, through Congress. And so he's seeking to do that through the courts. If that happens, uh, this administration um, has not shown that it has an alternative to the Affordable Care Act. Now, obviously, if Democrats take control of the White House, take control of the Senate, uh, they could pass an alternative. But understand that there would be significant disruption to all of the people in this country who rely on the Affordable Care Act uh, for health care. And so this is just one of the really pressing issues that she could be the difference maker on. And Chris, finally, um, the president is trailing on many national polls and Republicans are, are poised or can, can lose the Senate as well. Can you talk to, about, talk to us about her confirmation and how what would it mean for Republicans in place of losing the White House and also the Senate? This is a calculated risk that Senate Republicans are taking. Obviously, it's a lifetime appointment, so they want to make sure they fill it with a conservative. Uh, but they also understand that um, there is a fairly significant majority of the American people that think this pick should not be going forward. It should be left up to the next president to make the selection. And then when you talk about issues like the Affordable Care Act or like Roe versus Wade, crucial swing voters uh, oppose the position that the president is taking and oppose the position that presumably Judge Barrett would take as well. So, yes, you do get a lifetime appointment uh, and you perhaps fire up some members of your base, but you really run the risk of alienating swing voters. Well, it's always great to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Chris Liu, former Obama White House senior cabinet member. 
And meanwhile, as the pandemic intensifies across the U.S., the daily average of coronavirus cases surging. Experts fear we are beginning to see the start of a second wave. North Dakota reporting a record in hospitalizations, while in Florida, the positivity rate continues to rise. Here's the very latest. The U.S. now averaging 50,000 cases of coronavirus a day. That number steadily rising for the past few weeks. Montana, New Mexico, North Carolina, Tennessee and Vermont all reporting a jump of more than 50 percent in one week. Maine, Texas and Washington are the only states currently reporting fewer daily cases. We are all deeply afraid that this is the beginning of that dreaded second wave. In Florida, where phase three reopening is already in full effect, the positivity rate is almost 12 percent. The state reporting over 5,500 cases on Sunday. Meanwhile, in New York City, authorities have issued more than $150,000 in fines for COVID-19 violations. This coming as the city grapples with a COVID-19 resurgence in some Brooklyn and Queens neighborhoods. Dr. Deborah Burks reminding Americans that our only defense against the virus right now is ourselves. The only thing that will prevent the next wave is us. Community spread is now occurring with small gatherings day after day in households and families and friends. The CDC discovering a pattern, reporting the percentage of positive coronavirus test results start going up among those under 25 about a month before a county is designated a virus hotspot. When you start to look at these college data, that may be up to 80% of individuals under 30 are asymptomatic, and we're still getting the data from all of the colleges. And now an updated coronavirus projection model says the U.S. could see 395,000 deaths by February 1st. And that same model predicting 80,000 lives could be saved if everyone wore a mask. Meanwhile, just days after schools reopened in person, classes in Miami-Dade County, the first cases of COVID-19 were reported in several schools. According to the county's dashboard, there are nine confirmed cases. Joining me now is Carla Hernandez-Matz. She's the president of United Teachers of Dade. Thanks for joining us, Carla. Nine confirmed cases in a matter of days. It's possible these children came into the classroom with the virus already, but was it surprising to you? You know, it's unfortunate because we were trying to avoid precisely what's happening now. We knew that schools shouldn't be opened. Uh, we were rushed into reopening uh, by our state governor. And, um, you know, we wanted to make sure that everything was in place, that the safety precautions were being implemented because we were trying to avoid opening and then having to close. We had to close one school down uh, this, this morning. And we believe there's about 15 schools in total that already have COVID cases. Does the number of cases on the county dashboard match reports that you've received? Do, do you trust the, trust the dashboard? No. So the dashboard is slow or it's delayed in actually validating those cases. There are more cases that we've heard about that have not yet been reflected on the dashboard, uh, which is, you know, one of the things that we worry about. We have a Department of Health that we're relying on, and it's a governmental agency here in the state of Florida, which if we track what's going on in Florida, our, we've had a faulty uh, unemployment system. We've had a faulty voter registration system. And so our expectations are actually quite low 
on the Department of Health. We want our school board and other districts to really have local control and make these decisions based on the needs that are impacting their communities and not wait for the Department of Health because we're going to get more delayed information that way. And Carla, I have a question. Was Miami-Dade ready to reopen? The positivity rate was around the 5% margin that they wanted. Were teachers provided enough protective equipment and hand sanitizer? What's your take? You know, I believe that our school district tried to do the best that they could under the pressured circumstances and conditions. You know, our governor and the Department of Education, Richard Corcoran, imposed this basically on the school board. Uh, our school board should have fought harder. They should have not nudged, um, but, you know, they decided to reopen. We know that they bought things, but just like everywhere else in the world, I mean, there's so many back orders on things. These are things that are in high demand. And so a lot of our teachers, what they're asking for is actually disinfecting wipes, disinfecting spray. They want to make sure that when children move from one class to the other, that they have the supplies needed so that they can try to disinfect their spaces when kids switch over. But um, I don't believe that teachers felt that this was the right time. Um, I believe that our district, unfortunately, was rushed to reopen. And it's unsafe. And we're seeing that positivity cases are actually um, you know, starting to increase as opposed to having a steady decline. And so it worries us. We are very worried about our community. We don't want community spread, and we certainly don't want outbreaks in our school system. Well, thank you so much, Carla Hernandez-Matt. We'll see how this all develops. President of United Teachers of Day. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Welcome back to You News. Unemployment among women here in the United States is four times higher than among men. According to data from the Department of Labor, this massive discrepancy highlights the high cost of the health crisis in industry that employ more women, such as hospitality and retail. Here's Eileen Kerdet with the details. Thousands of women lost their jobs due to COVID-19, and although some are trying to re-enter their workforce, many have not been successful. Aliana Orbera Delgado told us about her experience. I was out of work on May 25th, five months ago, and I apply and apply, and there is no response from any job, and I am desperate. Women make up the majority of the workforce in retail and hospitality, industries that has been significantly impacted by the coronavirus pandemic. And that's not counting those who have had to leave their jobs because their children now have to take virtual classes. The number of women who lost their jobs since the pandemic began exceeds the total number of jobs added in the U.S. last month. About 865,000 women are unemployed, compared to 216,000 men. The U.S. job market added 661,000 jobs between August and September, figures that do not surprise experts. 
This recession is almost the perfect cocktail to hurt women in employment because of the obligations they have both at home and outside the home. Minorities groups have been the most affected by the unemployment crisis. Of the women who became unemployed, 324,000 are Latinas and 58,000 are African Americans. These are difficult times for many women. I don't have a way to pay my bills. I'm having a hard time with my nine-month-old girl because I can't afford to buy her diapers. I am having a really bad time financially. And although some businesses are starting to reopen, experts say the economy recovery will be slow. Aileen Cardet, Yunus. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then. <laughs>